Because we like to keep our lights on, now a word from our sponsor. Founded in 2011 and headquartered in New York City, SongTrust maintains the most extensive accessible publishing network in the industry with a global network of direct society collections with 45 plus performance, mechanical, and digital societies globally covering 120 plus territories. SongTrust is owned and operated by Downtown Music Holdings. And now friends, I have a deal for you. Visit songtrust.com forward slash pubcast and take advantage of their 20% discount off the one-time registration just for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. And now let's get on with our episode. What's up, Pubcasters? Welcome back to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. On this episode, we sit down with the Schmidt Brothers, Dane, Creative Director at Sony ATV Music Publishing, and Jordan, Hit Songwriter and Producer for Tree Vibes and Sony ATV. We get to know who they are and how their hard work is paid off in the music business. And things get interesting as we discuss creation and ownership of tracks. All right, friends, I'm glad to have you with us again today at the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. And I'm sitting with some some brothers. We have traditionally in Nashville had brothers. We've had we've had uh, Jim and Brett Beavers. We've had Brett and Brad Warren. Now we have Jordan and Jacob Davis. We have Matt and Josh Jenkins. And I am sitting with the awesome Schmidt brothers, Dane and Jordan as well. You're so kind. So excited mm-hmm. to have you guys with us today. Let's start a little history. Uh, I'll start with current, right? When I was looking up, Jordan, it's congrats on five number ones now because God's you. Country was your last. And then I realized you you have like is it three singles currently on the chart uh yeah i believe so come on manager three Dane. and then two more coming look at you dude like that is a amazing run you got going on look you could have a triple play this year that's the goal i'm sure right <laughs> it's always the goal and it, just to fill in a cma triple plays when you have three number ones back to back in a 12 month period of time with jordan is surely on track for but i want to point out that your first number one in, in Nashville was like 2016, right? That was the first, like Aldine was around there? I think it was I 16. Yeah. It, it went it went to radio June 2016. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it was, was definitely the same year. It looks like, according to my research, I do do a little research for these things on occasion, that you've had at least one hit a year, and now it's ramping up to where you're having multiple singles out. But you've had a crap ton of cuts. So yeah. that's also super impressive. That's yeah, been crazy. I did not add up the cuts, but... Dane, manager, it's, like, it's over a hundred at this point, dude. You got to have the cuts to get the singles. So that's we've been very blessed and fortunate. But when I th- first started to uh, to get to know you guys, I actually believe it was through Dane originally. I had this guy that just started randomly emailing me about co-writes, and I'm like, "Who are you?" And we went to have lunch. This was a when we met. You were currently at that time working for Tree Vibes, and I think I originally uh, I remember seeing a press release. And I saw your picture, uh, Jordan, with uh, the guys with Brian and, and Tyler, and I thought, oh, these guys are starting a publishing company. Wow, they're mm-hmm. they're starting to branch out. But you were the very first one they signed, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I as soon as I got hooked up with them, which which happened uh, kind of through Twitter, they, uh, I, you know, I started emailing Brian, and he was uh, asking for tracks to write to and stuff. So I was sitting in my studio. I mean. 16 to 20 hours a day just pumping out tracks trying to get a deal and it took about nine months i think for the because they didn't have a company they didn't have anything they just wanted to do it october 2014 then signed signed in april April. yeah so 
so there really wasn't a company or anything, but you know, I wanted to be a part of what they were doing and I just kind of stuck it out and waited. That's amazing. I forgot that he, uh, he just kind of boldly said, I'm looking for things on the internet. That mm-hmm. had to blow up. And the fact that you oh, actually yeah. came to the top of that is, is well, and that, and that honestly, I have to give my friend Chase, uh, Chase Coy credit for that because he was the one that originally started talking with BK and then he, he told me to to hit him up too. Chase so I did. Coy and then Jimmy Deegan kind of yep. put you to the top of the pile. Yeah. So Thanks, we kind of knew a few Chase. people in there that, that helped out. But let's back up a minute. Give me the, the background that got you guys here because you guys are from up north. You know, you northerners coming down, Minnesota area. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, don't have that accent. Oh, you so betcha. You bet. Can you, you going to throw it on me? That's awesome. But give us your background. It got you to Nashville and uh, and what made you decide this is the place you needed to be? Because your background seems to be more in, in rock or in the pop rock kind Scene, of field. Emo, rock. Yeah. Dane had a band that he was um, running, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he was he was <laughs> doing a lot it. of the uh, um, sync stuff and being very successful at it with his own project. And then I was recording that and producing that and um, a lot of other bands up north some good some (laughs) really not so good do you Um, have your own studio up there yeah i built i built out like a little room that i had rented um i actually did that a few times it was it's a lot of fun building (laughs) multiple studios that you don't own Um, (laughs) expensive we've done it four times yeah so we were up in in minneapolis doing that for about i don't know seven years or something and you kind of just get that feeling that you're you've reached the the glass ceiling if you will you know and there's there's really nowhere else to go and uh i was actually thinking about going out to new york city because i had a friend out there who had a studio and uh he said i could rent a room i was like all right let's try new york city and then last minute dane found a house in gallatin (laughs) let's back up prime real estate of gallatin he was we we started coming down to nashville recording some of his stuff and you know, we kind of liked the vibe down here. So Dane started looking at houses and found a place up in Gallatin that had a studio. And we were like, all right, let's, let's do it. And uh, he got it. I canceled my plans for New York. We drove down and dropped some stuff off. And literally the place he found was a double wide trailer about an, I, I mean, 50 minutes from downtown. Uh, it did have a cool studio uh, with a broken air conditioning unit. <laughs> <laughs> and that poorly leaked. built. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were out in Gallatin and didn't know anybody in town. And uh, believe it or not, people don't want to drive all the way out to Gallatin to write a song with somebody they don't know. So it, it got to the point where I was almost ready to move back to Minnesota. I remember telling Dane that, and Dane was like, well, let's, let's look for a place in downtown Nashville. We'll sign a six-month lease. We can see if anything happens. If not, then go home so going back just a hair so what made you get into sync first i mean is that it was some- literally by chance i had i was on tour with i was signed to a band on epitaph called sing it loud and did a record we got on a tour they were telling me it was like we we're gonna be out for 300 days this year and i was just i was like i can't do that i got six days into it i was i flew back i called my old drummer flew him out and i flew to palm springs to meet Jordan and our family, they were vacationing there. And I got an email that said, you have a song that's going to be on One Tree Hill. And I've to this day, I cannot remember how that happened. But 
that that happened. I got some a check music for supervisor it. Some, somewhere yeah, it was, I remember the company, but I, I remember the company, but I don't remember how I got in touch with them in the first place. But they got me that sync, and then it was what eight nine months later, I started getting money from ASCAP, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So I just started cold emailing everybody I possibly could from my office in Minnesota, and just said, hey, I got some music. It's it was doing really well on MySpace at the time, and. Um, MySpace. MySpace. That was that was uh, where I was born, age. born and raised. Was on golden MySpace. age of bad music. Um, and then I got, I started working with a couple of companies that just started feeding me a ton of real world Jersey Shore, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, all those like reality shows, and probably got me about a hundred over a couple of years, and um, got off of the race. So let's get back to uh, you, you. You got hooked up with BK after all. The, you had all these things going on, and then you got your music to them, which obviously uh, they heard something in your in your tracks. And I've heard them now. And obviously, you've had the hits to back it up. You're really good at what you do. But again, you definitely have a background in the. We were kind of joke. You, we joke around here. There's space bar guys that can create tracks or loops or whatever. And then there's engineer, writer producers and you're also on top of that instrumentalist right you play multiple instruments yeah i mean not well but <laughs> but you can I, play i can I can, well. I can do them all you can hack away at yeah, them yeah i remember seeing the studio you guys had uh, the one uh over hay street. hay street yeah it was a sweet little spot there i, I like that spot that yeah spot. miss it yep. yeah well the the thing that i i want to get to is uh in that background, when you um how do you approach songs now because do you consider yourself because I know you can write a song, so technically we call that top liner here nowadays. Mm -hmm. And then you can create the tracks, you can play the instruments. When you go into a room to write, do you, what role do you usually assume when you jump into a room initially? Um, you know, it's kind of evolved. It started as, you know, I would try to have tracks ready to write to. Um, and at the time... I was just feeling super creative, like as far as just track starts, I could just start a million things. But then I started noticing, um, I mean, it sucks when you've built out this track and somebody goes, well, hey, can we change the key? We, we need to go up, you know, like four whole steps. And you're like, oh. <laughs> well, there goes all that work. Mm -hmm. Or we need a different chord, you know, and it's like, okay, uh, I have no idea what that sound is, how I got that on guitar, how, you know what I mean? It's, it's just it oftentimes created more problems or, or the writing gets lazy. Like we know we should change the chord, but nobody wants to go through the work of having that done in the room. So we just leave it and write to something the way it is. So I, I feel like it can kind of make lazy writers. Interesting. As far as having tracks. Now, sometimes it can work out perfectly and you know you've got the track and somebody comes in and you write um something real dope over it but so how much time on average do you think you have in each song that you're working on when you're building it out you know i'd say on average you got an extra couple two or three hours after the write if i'm building it in the room to to complete it that's a lot. Yeah. Now, do you, because I know a lot of guys, particularly since I know you guys are pretty, pretty close and, and, uh, and Dane's continued to work with you since he's been, been here. Now, 
through, uh, we didn't get to the part where he was uh, originally with you at Tree Vibes, and now he's working at Sony, which is also part of your, your work for, uh, uh, right for Tree Vibes and Sony ATV and Dane's over there working. And I would say more than just a publisher, obviously he's your brother. So he also works on the, on the management side of helping out. Do you use him on a gauge sometimes to go like, dude, what do I need to do here? Help me prioritize any of this stuff. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't <laughs> no, like telling him shit. Uh, <laughs> Nope. You know, it's kind of one of those things. Well, why do you it, keep this guy around? <laughs> That's my question. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, like you said, he's a hustler and I'm a hustler and we're, we're hustling in two different areas. And I trust that what he's doing is moving the ship forward and what I'm doing. And so we kind of leave each other alone for the most part. Like, Every now and then I'll come in with an idea, but it's pretty rare. I just, he does his thing and it's, you know, I trust that he's, yeah, he's amazing the right at, at what he does. Cause I don't really have to think about anything. I, you know, like I said, if I'm spending most of my day working on stuff, then I don't have time to do anything else. So <laughs> he kind of takes care of that. Well, that opens up a really good, uh, uh, combo a little outside just the right, but what's the relationship between writer producer, or do you consider, or, or, uh, a publisher, I mean, writer and publisher. Do you consider yourself more of his manager, publisher? Like, where and and what does that dynamic look like for you guys? Like, how you kind of touched on some of it. You he allows you to be creative, takes mm-hmm. care of the business side, and you try to hustle that. Is that what describe some more of y'all's dynamics? You guys are. are I'm sure you're getting some knockdown drag outs on occasion. Your brothers, I have a brother, but not really. Oh, we really? did, we <laughs> did in the beginning. There was a, it was a rocky road in the beginning, but um, I think we got it pretty Christmas. dialed in now. Christmas yeah. of twenty. Too much Jagermeister. Yeah. <laughs> Jagermeister uh, could be the downfall of many yeah. relationships. Jag is not allowed at Christmas anymore. That's <laughs> my really mom. Been out <laughs> Now I'm going to take this maybe into a, a touchier, not touchy, but just kind of a current conversation that seems to come up a lot. Again, we've mentioned that you put a lot of time and effort when you're building out these tracks, you're creating the content and and people are using them, pitching them. And so there's, there's a lot of this conversation that comes up. There's two levels to it. There's one, who owns what? You know, who owns that master? Whose master is that? Did, did, did your co-writers collaborate on that master? And then there's the usual conversation I have with a lot of my writer producers is I deserve more. Whatever more is, I don't think our town's quite caught up to that because the reality is we, when this first started happening, going back to about 2010, when I first started seeing more, I think that's when I first met Jimmy Robbins and some of these guy, other guys were coming into town. My demo cost plummeted in a good way because... I didn't have to go to the studio anymore, which is, right. which is fantastic. But inherently we've never built back. Like you don't charge me for your studio. You don't charge me for your time. That's your, that's your skill. We say that you bring to the room, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what gets you in some of these rooms with these, when you first came to town, these hit writers, it was really easy for me to sell my writer producers in quicker than sometimes writers. I yeah. could, I could right. go, Hey, this guy does great tracks. And if you do good work, you can get in these A-list rooms pretty yeah. quick. Right. Uh, and, um, and that <laughs> to the, much to the chagrin of some of my pure writers that are like, how is that guy getting in his room? Well, cause he brings something you don't have. So, but on the other side of that, you don't necessarily get reciprocated for all that effort at times. Do you have a, and I'll just throw it out. Do you have an opinion on that and how that could maybe be 
um, more fairly taken care of because it's 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 an interesting it's, dynamic currently. It's rough. It's hard to figure out what that compensation is or would be. Um, you know, especially when I was starting out before I had anything going and I was, you know, broke as a joke, I was, I would kind of wonder why the hell it is that publishing companies used to have to pay, you know, $600 to get a song demoed and they're getting it for free and they're saying they own it too with, (laughs) with a track guy, which is, um, you know, unbelievable (laughs) to think that, okay, well, these are my sounds. These are my skills. I'm putting it all together and you're not paying for it and you own it. Yeah. Hold on. You know, that the ownership thing, it it just needs to be the person that built it owns it. They, They produced it. That's their thing. You know what I mean? And I like to clarify, we're talking about the recording because there's <laughs> there's levels. I always like to to state this when we're walking. There's the there's the actual copyright, which were the song itself, the melody, the music, that part. But then you are doing the recording of it. That's an SR, a master. I mean, technically, we still consider them somewhat demos until a label, but really they're not because you're creating a master work. They can be licensed to sync. They right. can be licensed to other things. So that's where... Definitions are super important because we don't really define that. My contracts are still dated, to be honest, and still based off we'll provide you a space and a time and a budget to go record. And, and technically, I own whatever my writers write, unless they've clarified, even writer producers like you're saying. And so I have been working with my attorneys and um, and trying to get the verbiage better for, for you guys as well. Because you can get into the issue, too, that I've talked about. Like, if I'm providing you the studio and it's out of my cost, whether it's in my building or I'm paying your rent, then technically, yeah, I should own part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, then sometimes that doesn't that. happen. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, it also can be written into the contract where you provide that studio and there's no, like that's part of the contract. Correct. And there's, you know, there's no um, ownership because of that. So it just depends on the deal. I think as well. it's just, it's murky water no matter <laughs> how you, the you thing, look at it. The thing I've always said too, and we realized this in 2016 when a few of a few songs that Jordan had written got upgraded to masters and it ended up being like almost 50 grand that he got because not only was he a writer, but he was also producing those demos. And so I think the trade-off is producer writers also get the additional opportunities yes. to turn it into production and to make more money than the other writers yeah. do. So Most of the time, it's for not, you know, that you don't get anything extra for putting in that work. But when you do, um, you know, when somebody payoff. does upgrade it, yeah, it can be a great payoff. And so, you know, the, the hope is that you get a, enough of those that it makes all the shit you have to do in between worth it that's what i usually when i'm having this discussion with them on my younger guys or guys that are in i'm like look you're gonna get opportunities beyond any of these dudes Mm -hmm. and like and again we're very active in sync as well and did that helps if you own the master you get some master royalties and a lot of my guys now as you mentioned there's a lot more indie guys dropping music out and then they they I don't see that money. They mm-hmm. get paid for the as a producer, and then that ter- that track gets out there, and sometimes they can have part of the master ownership or at least a chunk of percentage of it. And 
that's usually what I do to encourage them. Cause I get it. That can be frustrating. As you said, like you probably have a pile of things you haven't finished yet and they're <laughs> sitting there and you probably have a bunch of co-writers going, Hey dude, where's my freaking track? <laughs> yeah. I think if I I'm, saw three text them as we were it's talking. Amazing. It's, yeah, man. It's, amazing. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing. I still think it's a wild west. I'll ask it. Have you seen any conversations start to come up? Cause I know that this has come up on some other ones and publishers are starting to discuss it like in the room, not just the splits on the writing. Cause we're Nashville. We still do a lot of the even splits, but then, all right, well, how are we splitting this this track? Because then sometimes, say, one of your co-writers puts a guitar down. Maybe the artist in the room puts his vocal on it. Maybe the collaborators are also helping produce the track. They have ideas. Musically, they add to it. And I know, as you said, like in L.A., a lot of times when you leave a room, not all the time, because sometimes it's post-release, they still are arguing over it, but they have not only the copyright splits, but they have master splits that they they hammer out mm-hmm. as well. Have you seen or heard or had any of those discussions come up lately? Not really. I think every situation is different, and you just kind of approach it in a, you know, the most respectful way, but... Um, I don't. We just haven't had any issues with that. Thus I far. try to stay like. I mean, you know, right and wrong. You know, if if you know, there have been times where I'll have a pre-built track that I made by myself. People come in, we write over it, get a terrible song, and then I I'm like, well, I don't want to burn this track. Fuck this song. I don't want to burn this track though. This is a dope track, and I'll write with somebody else on it. And I mean, that's pretty standard in LA. Like people do that all the time. A lot of producers just send tracks out to different writing rooms and then they get a bunch back and they decide which one they write from a ton of different people. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those things for me where it's like, you know, if I'm in the room with like a Carrie Barlow or somebody who's, who's like an amazing guitar player and, you know, we build a track together. Like, yeah, that's, he's a part of that. That's, that's not mine to give away anymore. Um, so I kind of just like, like Dane just said, it's every track is different and, um, you know, whether somebody deserves something on it or not. Right. A lot of our listeners are up and coming independent producer writers. What advice, cause it seems like you have a really great background on hustle and stuff. What advice would you give to a young writer, producer in his room and where maybe it's in Minneapolis or Duluth, Minnesota, like what would it be some advice to really get their, their skill set up to get to the level that you're at? Collaborate. I think a lot of people, especially if you're not in a music city, it's hard to find collaborators. And a lot of people, um, are, you know, in their room by themselves writing songs and that's an incredible thing to do. And, you know, we've all done it. But I think where you really turn the corner is when um, you start working with other people that are better than you. And, you know, that requires moving to Nashville or L.A. Or, it's so you know. cliche, but it's true. It, it's just it's the way it, it's it's you have to be present to win. So. You do. You do. And and that's what we realize. Even moving to Gallatin, which is, you know, 45 minutes north of here, that was still too far to make something happen. Um, and so for us, it was being down in the action, meeting everybody we could. Um, and then, you know, riding with them and learning a whole lot more. I believe in the, uh, the, the collective consciousness. I'm a kind of a hippie at times about the creative 
Nashville is just this amazing community. As you've mentioned, like you can come here and we're pretty welcoming in general. Like, you know, like you might meet someone at the bar and you can get in these rooms and, and, and we love meeting people and trying new things, but there's this collective consciousness and I call it, you kind of find your, your class, right? Everybody finds your group, your, your, yeah. your crew, your squad, whatever the fancy new uh, name is for it. But you help each other out at the beginning and, and you trade some ideas, you co-write, you collaborate, but also you support one another mm-hmm. because this is rough business. Yeah. <laughs> you can have those days where you think like you totally suck, but you got that guy next to you going, man, I, you know, you're doing great. Just keep at it, keep moving. And, and I think that's a, a super important part of being present. And you don't get that if you're not here and you don't right. feel it. And right. it does, it just creates that, that creative community that we're in and helps everybody kind of, I like the way you put it, you rise to the level of your competition, so to speak. Cause we're, yeah. just, we're all super driven and competitive, but we're also super supportive yeah. and collaborative. It's a really weird yeah. dichotomy. I think in, with everybody that's sitting, you know, not in Nashville, I'd say my best piece of advice before you move here, just woodshed it and get really good, you know, and, spend all the time you can doing whatever it is you're doing, songwriting, making tracks, and try to be the best you can, and then move somewhere with that skill set. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville to keep up with news, events, panels, and even new episodes. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is created by executive producers Dale Bobo and Tim Hunsey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks for listening and supporting the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. 